Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into our study today. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you know how to minister to us, how to speak to us, how to teach us, Lord. Thank you that the Bible is not just some book. Um, just pray that you would uh, have your way as we sit at your feet, Lord. I pray that I'd be removed from the equation and uh, that you would just uh, continue to build in us, Lord, what we need to be more like you, Jesus, in a society that hates you. And uh, help us, Lord, to be as, uh, as meek as doves, as wise as, wise as serpents and meek as doves, Lord, that we would be used by you in a great way, Lord. But we need to hear from you. We need to be empowered by you to, to be good Christians, Lord, in this community. And uh, just praise you for all that you do, Lord. Give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So we took a break. We started Romans before uh, Good Friday, um, the week before that. And so we finished Romans chapter 1, and we finished the first half of Romans chapter 2. And so today we are in Romans, the latter part of Romans chapter 2, verse 17 through 29. We're going to finish up chapter 2 this morning. Uh, we took a wonderful break from the study of Romans to celebrate Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. If you miss those services, you can find them on any... Uh, you can find them on YouTube. You can find them on Facebook. Uh, if you like podcasts, you can go to any podcast platform. You can go to any music platform like iTunes or Spotify and find the services as well. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to them. Um, all of the studies that we do here, uh, I work really hard to make sure that they're available later on. And so, because um, God's Word always needs to be taught. So if there's ever a study that you're like, hey, I want to catch up where we were in Romans, or go back. We did Acts before we've done John, we've done Daniel, um, and so those are just a resource for you guys. So we covered the first half of Romans 2, 1 through 16. The subject was God's righteous judgment, um, and if you were a Jew at the time listening to Paul's letter, you would have maybe thought you were excluded on the merit of your heritage. The fact that you were Jewish God's chosen people, the Jews are God's chosen people. Today, they're God's chosen people. That never changed. <clears throat> if you were God's chosen people, the circumcised, not one of the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, you would maybe think, oh, hey, this righteous judgment of God, God's judgment isn't against me. I'm God's person, you know. And so to gain context of what Paul is speaking about in Romans chapter 2, verse 17, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 2, yeah, verse 17 through 29, we're going to start in Genesis. You're like, oh, well, how's the correlation there? We're going to start in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 through 4. How many of you guys ever, you know, and, and maybe this is you, maybe it's not, but you, you know, you run across people and they say, oh, my dad was a preacher, or my grandpa was, and oh, you know, my family's gone to church, or my family planted a church, or they were missionaries, and, and they speak of this heritage of their family being part of God's journey in such a way that they account it to themselves as righteousness, like what my family did. And so when Jesus came upon the scene, he abolished this prideful attitude that the Jews had because the gospel is for the Jews and the Gentiles. 
And you have to understand historically that the Gentiles or somebody who's not Jewish, okay, they weren't God's people. And it all started back in Genesis. God chose Abraham's people. And so we'll look at Genesis chapter 17, and we're going to read verse 1 through 14. And we're going to read about when God first talked to Abram about him, about God making the Jewish people his. Verse 17, chapter 17, verse 1 in Genesis. And you'll understand why this correlates with Romans chapter 2, verse 17 through 29. If you could read with me. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me, be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. So what God's telling Abram is, I'm going to promise my covenant to you. God's choosing Abram and his people. That's how God works in us. He presents himself to us and then asks us to act on it. But back in Genesis chapter 17, 3, then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I love that about God. When we we're a new creation in Jesus, we see that all throughout when God calls people, he transforms them. And so God gives Abram a new name of Abraham. For I've made you a father of many nations. Verse six, you know the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Well, that's kind of where this came from. <clears throat> Verse six, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to, to be God to you and your descendants after you. So God is saying, I am your God and will be your God for every person after you for eternity. He's saying that about the Jewish nation. And so if you were a Jew, and this is the Old Testament, so think, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, and then Jewish come, Jewish, Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus, you know, is crucified, buried, resurrected, and then, you know, a, a little while after that, Paul, you know, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and Paul starts, you know, planting churches and encouraging the churches, and then he writes this letter to the to the believers in Romans, and and the Jews that were there, they would they would be listening to Romans and say, okay, well, we have God, we're God's chosen people, and their pride would have been in the way. Because they look at Gentiles and say, you're nobody, you're scum. God hasn't chosen you. So that's the context that's in Romans 2, 17 through 29. I love how the Lord takes our pride and throws it away and says, you know what? There's an even playing field. All have fallen short of the glory of God. You're all sinners. Your heritage is irrelevant. Now we might like our heritage, right? We like to have our history of our family and stuff. But when it comes to the righteousness of God and his judgment and who he is, it's, it doesn't matter. He dictates what happens, not our history. Verse 
Verse eight of Genesis chapter 17. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I will be their God. See what God's doing? He's saying, look, I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And what does that mean? It means to be set apart. You ever heard the, now don't take this the wrong way. You ever heard the saying, skin in the game? God's really serious when it comes to serving him. God's really serious when it comes to following after him. We can't just be Christians and say, well, I'm going to live my own life the way I want and not have any action that actually lines up with the word of God. So God's very serious about this. And so he tells, he tells Abraham, look, to prove this being a covenant between us, you're, all of the males need to be circumcised that are in your family and for every generation. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. I love it. That is actually a medical thing so that blood clotting actually happens in a baby eight days after they're born. Isn't it amazing that God knows the inside of these things within our physical bodies? Hey, he created us. Gosh, that's pretty neat. So after eight days, uh, Sorry, I had my finger here. Yeah. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or, listen, or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. So in other words, any person in your clan must be circumcised. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh, who is in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So God's very strict, very serious about this. And so this is what, this is why the Jewish people who would be reading or be listening to um, Paul's, Paul's letter to the Romans, they would have thought, you know what? Those dirty, filthy, rotten Gentiles that are, un, uh, 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 that are uncircumcised, they have no place in God's promises. They're not part of his people. They didn't do that. They're, so they're, could, could, do you understand the, the segregation that would have been there? I want you guys to really grasp that because the Holy Spirit allowed Paul to unravel that in these verses. And, and, and that's why the title of this message that, is that your family's history can't save you, Okay. Your family's history can't save you. And the, and the Jewish history, even their covenant with God, could become prideful. <clears throat> so we see in Romans chapter 2, verse 17 through 29, and we pick up in verse 17. And Paul's continuing, and he says this, Listen, he says, indeed, you are called a Jew. Now, do you understand why I chose Genesis to read? Because now we're going to talk about how Paul's letter is addressing them, the Jewish people. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. 
and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. So we see here that they took pride that they were God's chosen people that they were instructed in morality by the law of God, the old, which is the Old Testament. When it says the law of God, we're speaking about the Old Testament. Remember, we're, we're, we're in the middle of the New Testament going forth. When we read the, these portions of Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the way to Revelation, that's the New Testament being written, presented to the people. And so we're reading about uh, the situation when this portion of the New Testament is presented. The New Testament had not been all written out. So when it... When we see that it talks about the law, it means the Old Testament. <clears throat> so, so Paul's saying, hey, you're instructed in morality by the law of God, which is the Old Testament. They're priding themselves that they were the guide to the blind, those that were not Jewish. That would be the blind person, the person in darkness, an instructor of, fool, of fools, teacher of those that are unknowledgeable. It would be those who weren't Jewish. All of this giving them a form, listen, a form of knowledge and truth in the law of God, which would be the Old Testament. So they had an understanding. They knew these things. Paul's acknowledging that they learned these things through the, through the word of God, that, that, that they did have this place of, of teaching. The, the, the Jewish people weren't null and void. They, they knew God's word. They, were, they, they are an instrument to be used by God to teach what the Old Testament was, but they had so much pride when Paul wrote this letter. We see here now, but, but Paul begins to uncover the faulty, false, prideful foundation of the Jewish people in Rome. And we see that in verse 21 and 22. And we ourselves can have the same problems. We can look at ourselves and say, oh, well, I don't do that sin. You know, my kids do that. Oh my gosh, dad, they did this. Like when we're at the skate park, that kid cussed. Well, you know what? That's, people do that. But we're not to, you know, hold that against people. Yeah, okay, if you're a Christian and, and we're rubbing shoulders together and you're doing something sinful, I'm going to call you out on it, okay? But in the world, it's like people are just going to do what they're going to do, you know? And we can't be like, oh, you know, look down our nose. Oh, you're, not, you're not like us. And that's essentially what the Jewish people were doing after Paul, after they read the first portion of Romans chapter 2. So pick in verse 21. So Paul begins uncovering this faulty false pride. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? And these are kind of rhetorical questions. In other words, though you teach another, are you really applying this to you? How often can we teach the word to somebody else, right? I could stand here for 25 years and teach you the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, but if I'm not applying it to myself, what am I? A hypocrite. So Paul's saying, look, you therefore, you, you who teach, do you not teach yourself? In other words, do you not apply it? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? In other words, he's saying you're stealing and you, you tell people don't do this, but you're doing this. You who say, don't commit, don't commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? Paul's saying, hey, you're preaching the law of God that, that adultery is wrong, but you're actually doing these things. 
You who abhor idols, in other words, you're against all things that are, are worshiping pagan gods and everything, you know, the Jewish temple is it, you know, the, all these things, and, and yet, do you rob temples? And so it's, Paul's writing, and, and it's possible that they would go in and take the precious things from, from idols, temples that had idols in them. In other words, verse 21 and 22 is kind of like this. Uh, do as I say and not as I do. Uh, you say don't steal, but you're stealing. You say don't commit adultery, but you commit adultery. Jesus said that if you lust after a woman, you commit adultery. Wow, God, burn my brain. You're like, do we need to know something about you? No, it's just a reality. Like, we're sinful people. God's Word uncovers the fact that it's what's inside of us. It's what's in our mind and in our heart, what, what's in us that needs to change. Because we can put on a front, man. We, could, we can fake people out. But when it comes to God, He sees everything. And so Paul's uncovering this pride that the Jewish readers would have been in. Verse 23 says, You who make your boast... In the law, in other words, they're like, oh, we know the law. If you were a Jewish kid, you would have been brought up in the law from five years old. You would have been taught it day and night. You would have taken part in the festivals. You would have taken part in, in, in uh, Passover. Your life would revolve around the traditions of God. They would be ingrained in you, Okay. So Paul's saying, you boast in the law. Do you dishonor God through breaking the law? In other words, you're boasting about all your godliness, that the law of God has been, that is taught to you and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and so forth. And yet, all of that is of no use to you. It doesn't change your life. You break the law of God and dishonor him. God's really serious when it comes to our life being a living example of what Jesus' standard is, okay? Jesus' standard goes beyond doing service projects. Jesus' standard goes beyond playing instruments up here. His standard goes beyond me standing up here and speaking. It's when we're alone, when we're by ourselves. What are we thinking about? What, what are we doing? You know, <laughs> I did a video yesterday. I finally got able to mow my lawn and or weeds or whatever you call it. And and so ever since COVID happened, we did Easter service in my front in the front of our house because we didn't have a place to meet. So we just set literally this up on my front lawn at my house. And I built a cross and shoved it in the middle of our planter box in the center of our front yard. And it's been there ever since. Jesus is like, we're not taking that down until like, I don't know now. She said, until COVID's over now, it's probably until Jesus comes back. So, so we're the crazy people with chickens and a cross in the front yard. And so, um, so I'm mowing the lawn going around the cross and I'm thinking, how many people actually have their life revolving around the work of the cross? Your guys' lives here. Does your life revolve around Jesus or does it revolve around your work? Does it revolve around your paycheck? Does it revolve around put whatever else is in there? 
God's word says that if we seek the kingdom of heaven, all these things shall be added unto us. God's word says, and I'm paraphrasing, and the Lord reminds me of this, go find the scripture in Matthew where it talks about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Maybe it's in, thank you. And so the birds of the air, they don't have to try and find what to eat. God provides it for them. The lilies of the field, they're so beautiful. Look at the flowers now and then what, they're dead. But none of them toiled or burdened themselves to try and figure out how to find food or how to grow and be beautiful. And if God can take care of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, and they're secondary compared to you and me, why in the world would God not take care of you? And so the reality is, is that we need to be focused on Jesus. He needs to be the center of our life. And just like the Jewish people had it right, God was the center of their life, the center. All through the Old Testament, what was in the center of the camp? The tent of meeting. When they went out into battle, what would they take? The Ark of the Covenant. When we go out to battle, what do we take? I, man, I got to get on Facebook and YouTube, and I got to get all these people to accept what I have to say. But do we get on our knees and pray, God, please, will you help me? Do we open the Bible and say, Lord, can you teach me something? Do we have actually godly habits in our lives? Now, I'm not saying life is easy and all this stuff's going to go away. You know, I just got my tax bill this year, and I'm like, are you kidding me? I have no money. And now I have no money. But we have trials in life, you know? And we can, we can make the things in our life seem so huge and we can feel so depleted. But just like yesterday when I was mowing my lawn, going in circles around this brick planter box and this cross, and I'm thinking, Lord, how many of us actually let you be the center of our life? How many of you guys make Jesus the center of your life? Is Jesus the center of your marriage? Is Jesus the center of your house? Because for us to be active and used and, 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 and effective Christians in a society that doesn't care about God, uh, if Jesus is not the center of our life, we won't be effective. We'll feel effective for a moment, but we won't be supernaturally effective. And the world needs to see supernatural Christians that are sold out for Jesus. So what are you hanging on to? Whatever it is, get rid of it. Paul's basically uncovering what the Jewish people were holding on to that were reading this letter. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? Verse 24, for the name of God, listen, you guys, is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. How serious that is. Here they thought they were following God, but yet because of their pride and their judgmental personalities, they actually were causing God to be dishonored. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You know what that, that means? It means they're saying, they're, they're saying profane things. They're, they're blaspheming the holy God. Why? Because of the attitude that the Jewish people held towards Gentiles. They were prideful. 
One commentator writes this, this combination of high talk and low walk, you can write that down, I didn't write it, caused the Gentiles to blaspheme the name of God. They judged the Lord as men always do by those who profess to be his followers. It was true in the days of Paul and before him, and it is still true today. Each of us should ask this. If of Jesus Christ is their only view, maybe what they see of him in you, you can put your name in there, Brian, what do they see? What do people see when they see you? I know sometimes they see me as angry and yelling and critical. It's because I'm broken and sinful. As we follow Jesus, He'll reveal our frailties to us. And what really should happen is we should actually become less controlled by them and let Jesus control more of it. It, it, it. My sinful nature seems so in my face all the time. All the, t- all the time, even when I come to church, all the time. My attitude. But it causes me to rely, realize that I'm more dependent now on the Lord than I was 20 years ago. And so when things start coming up in our life and they seem difficult, and it, the, the, don't give up. Press into God more, okay? Don't give up. Press into the Lord more. You're like, what does that mean? That means taking time to read the Bible by yourself. Last night, you know, we're all selfish beings. We're born selfish, and kids are the most selfish ever. It's just their nature. It doesn't matter what you give them. You can have two of them have the same thing, and they can look at the other one and want it just because they have it. And so I'm really working with one of, my, one of my children to memorize Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others greater than yourself. Maybe we need to live that way, considering others greater than us. Taking a humble position and loving others even when they're unlovable. Bearing with one another serving each other. We're in such a society where serving is not the end thing. It's only in if it looks great and fun. And so Paul's telling these Jews that you you guys, you you speak about all these great things as you're a believer, quote unquote, and you're a godly person and all this heritage you have, but really your life is causing those who don't know the Lord to actually hate God to blaspheme him. And so what we can take away from this study today is that you're responsible, if you're a Christian, you're responsible to be Christ-like to those around you. God has made that the reality of Christians, to be the example of Jesus to those around us. And that only happens when the cross is in the center of our life, when Jesus is the center of of you. It doesn't happen any other way. And then as Jesus becomes the center of your life, you start the, the dross or the, the, the unpure things of your life come up. The Holy Spirit, God, the Word, 
Jesus is the purifier of us. You ever taken gold? I, I had the privilege of being a work selling jewelry for about five and a half years or so. And, and so when you do that, you work with jewelers and I got to actually see gold melted in a smelting pot. And, and it's just this clump of metal and then he heats it up and the pot's really uh, takes, it's, it's, it, it's ceramic and so it can take really, 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 really hot heat. Heat, yes. <laughs> and so then the gold bubbles up and this weird like scab thing kind of comes to the top. And he has to scrape it off. And then he heats it up again and the scab comes to the top and he scrapes it off and he heats it up again and the scab comes to the top and he scrapes it off. You think the gold's having any fun? No. It's under fire. But it's being purified so that when it is done, it's beautiful. And it's used for amazing things like wedding rings. And that's what God does with us. The trials in our life, press into the Lord. Your finances, press into God. You think God can't help you with your money? He's faithful. How many of us had issues in our life with certain things and we look back and, and what did you really do if you're a Christian? What did you really do in your own strength to change it? Prayed. Asked others to pray. Took steps of faith. See, that's what having Jesus being the center of our life. Our actions need to be placed. Our faith needs to have actions in it. God's word tells us that faith without works is dead. It's not meaning you got to go do work so your faith is real, but there needs to be feet put to our faith. And sometimes that just means getting up and reading the word and praying. Lord, I, I, I trust you. Help me, Lord. Like the other day, I was like, Lord, I need to hear from you. And I don't know. I started reading Timothy, and it's Paul's letter to Pastor Timothy. And I was like, wow, Lord, thank you for the encouragement. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, I want to read the Bible. And I open it, and my flesh is like, that's the stupidest book. You're not going to get anything out of it. The minute I sit down to read, that's exactly what comes in my mind. I don't know about you. So when I'm feeling that way and I don't know where to go, I just go to Psalms. And I read through Psalms. Because see, the word of God is alive and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it feeds us, it ministers to us. God brings the dross to the top and scrapes it off, says, Brian, I'm gonna make you like me. You can't make you like me, but I can make you like me. You can't make you like Jesus, but Jesus can make you like him. But we have to have him be the center of our life. And we can't be walking in pride and criticism of others because we don't want to be like these Jewish people where they defamed God because of their actions. We don't want to act like we're godly and yet have no godliness in our lives. And I'm convicted standing here saying these things because I know that when I walk down from here that my, I need to make sure that my life lines up with godliness. And so do you. And we do that by reading the Word and the Word telling us, hey, here's the mirror. This is what you look like. Here's what Jesus looks like. Okay, we got we to gotta, we gotta fix this. God's so faithful. That's why there's so much scripture about confessing our sins to him and that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's why there's John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He loves you and me. He loves us while we're sinners. We read through in Romans 1 that, that, that he 
that he's long-suffering with us so that we can repent. So if there's things in your life that God brings up today and you're like, I, I, I can't deal with this, say, God, I can't deal with this. I, I confess this. I need your help, please. And if you need someone to pray for you today, please, please, you'd be surprised at what prayer does. Have someone pray for you. So verse 25, we see Paul continuing, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. In other words, hey, you know, you, you're circumcised, and, and, but you need to keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. What Paul's saying to them is saying, if you don't keep the law, you prideful Jews, you are now just like the Gentiles. That must have cut them with a knife. They must have been, oh, no, you didn't. You're really calling me one of those gross people? those ungodly, horrible people. See, the Jewish people took great pride in, in their circumcision because of what it symbolized. And we just read about that in Genesis. But without obedience, taking godly action in their life, this position they thought they had with God would actually be counted just like an uncircumcised Gentile. Verse 26, therefore, if an uncircumcised man... Now listen, I love Paul's play on words here. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Do you see what Paul did there? He said it's the outward action of obedience to God that dictates that God is with you and that you're obedient to God. It's not your family heritage. It's not going to catechism. It's not going to Bible college. It's nothing except your obedience. When the gospel is presented to somebody, that's why lately the Holy Spirit has me praying that the word would go forth, that people would hear it and that they would respond because it's not just hearing the word of God because people will listen to the word of God and they'll listen to the gospel and then they'll go, just go on their way but we need to respond to it. There needs to be action and obedience in our life to God's word. And so Paul's saying here, look, those that are uncircumcised, they're, they're following the law. It actually means that they're counted as being circumcised. They're counted as God's people. Man, the Jewish readers of this, their minds just must have crumbled. And see, the whole purpose for Paul sharing this with them is because they believed that the righteous judgment of God was not for them because they were God's people. I almost thought that we were going to get into Romans chapter 3 because there's some awesome verses in Romans 3 also, but we'll start that next week. So obedience to the law of God is what counts not circumcision. You're like, Brian, we're not under the law. We're under grace. Yeah, we're under the grace of the cross. Absolutely. But we're to be obedient to God's law. Thou shall not covet. Thou shall not steal. Thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not have any other gods except me. We still have to follow God's word. Verse 27 Paul's continuing with this. I love it. And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, now he really turns the fire up, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? 
he totally flips the script on these Jewish people and basically says that your heritage and your physical circumcision and your pride is 100% useless. And those who you judge because they're serving God with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and they're uncircumcised, they're going to be the ones that actually judge you because you're not following God. See how our pride is just thrown to the wayside. If you're not being obedient to the law of God, won't you be the one that is judged by the one that is following the law of God? That's what Paul's saying to them. They just must have, they just must have been falling out. But see, this is what God does when he shows up. He shows that he's pure, holy, righteous, uncompromising, full of love, full of grace, full of mercy. He's not a God of anger. He's a God of righteousness. He is perfect and pure in everything. And he knows how to unravel man's ways so that God is known. Closing here, we have verse 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So Paul finishes chapter two here, basically saying that what's outward doesn't make you God's person. When he uses the word, for he is not a Jew, he's using that in reference of God's chosen people. Then he says, nowhere circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. In other words, the circumcision of the flesh, that, that, it's not that important. But he is a Jew or God's person or God's chosen people who is one inwardly. God's saying, look, God looks at the heart. He looks at you inside. He sees all of us. Right now, he sees us inside. And the circumcision is that of the heart. In other words, the old sinful nature that's inside of us, our flesh, it needs to die. It needs to be cut off. It always raises its head, its ugly head. It, uh, pastor friend, pastor friend, an old pastor that I was under, Damian Kali, would always give this analogy that you have the white dog and the black dog, right? One is the Holy Spirit in your life, and the other one's your flesh. And he would say, you just have to feed the black dog a crumb. Yeah. And he's out in front dictating how your life goes. So we have to starve it. We have to starve our flesh. And that has to do with reading the word every day, praying, letting Jesus be the center of your life. Let him dictate what your life is about. Man, we need Jesus every day, every moment, every moment. Our hearts need to be circumcised and I love this, in the Spirit, it's capitalized in the New King James, and it means the Holy Spirit. When we come to know Jesus, He does something inside of us. God's Word says, the old is gone and the new has come. 
And I love how Paul states here that not even in the letter, in other words, the Old Testament written, not even the letter, the, the, the change doesn't happen through that. Your pride of knowing the Bible, I've met people who are like, they can have philosophical dialogues with me till they're blue in the face and I am so dumb and lost, I don't even open my mouth. You know, people like to stroke their like knowledge of things, you know, and they talk about, you know, the Bible and the great different things and all that, and they spout all this stuff out. But the reality is, is that we need to be circumcised in our heart by the spirit of God because it doesn't come from men. It comes from a work that God does in us. And that's what the world needs to see. The world wants to see real people that have, you know, bumps and bruises and warts, right? Marked up. But they want to see that we're dependent upon a true and living God that loves us. And then they look at us and they go, well, if God can change you and loves you, because I know who you are, maybe he'll love me. But if we lead with, I'm a Christian and I'm so prideful and look at me, that doesn't leave any room for any relationship with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And the enemy really wants us to be prideful and have this wall, this barrier. Because Satan doesn't want the church to be used in this community or in any community. And he'll start with the individual person. And so all of you, I charge you with today, make Jesus the center of your life. And if there's something that you need prayer for, please come up after service and pray. And if there's ever questions you have or you just want to read the Bible with somebody, man, get together and read the Word. You know, sometimes people are like, well, how do I do this? Well, you just open it and read. There's, I, honestly, I never, I, I took some Bible college you know, I'm not the astute philosopher of the Bible. I never will be. But I can tell you that the Word of God's alive and He's just waiting for us to sit at His feet and make Him the center of our life. And then He'll do the work in us that Paul even talks about here. I had a, another comment in here. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read it today. We'll go ahead and close in prayer. Gina, if you want to come up for the last song. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you so much that uh, I thank you that it never turns back void. And uh, I pray I never get tired of saying that, God, because I need to be reminded of that. And we all do. Lord, I thank you that the birds of the air and the lilies of the field you take care of them, and yet how much more would you take care of us, your children? God, we are looked at by you and loved. You see us and love us. And Lord, I pray that if there's pride in our life, like these Jewish listeners or readers of, the, of Romans, the, the, the receivers of Romans chapter 2, Lord, I pray that we would just get rid of that even today, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much, that you want to be the center of our life, and you teach us what that looks like. And Lord, we just, even if we don't know how to make that happen, I think we just need to Say, God, I don't know how to make that happen. And Lord, you know how to put the pieces together in our life. And so I just ask that you would just take care of us, Lord. That you just meet the needs of everybody here, Lord. And those who couldn't make it, that you'd be with them and bring healing. 
Lord, I pray for my cousin Dustin again, Lord, that you would just heal his body of this cancer, Lord. You would be with his family and his daughter and son, Lord. Just ask God that you would just have your way with us today, Lord. Just praise you and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.